0: today on Regionally Speaking. The month of November recognized National Men's Health Awareness Month, so we wanted to spend some time addressing men's mental health. We're speaking with Heidi Dara and Megan Wichlinski with Franciscan Health Michigan City's Inpatient Behavioral Health Unit. They offer tips and tools to help support all of the men in our lives. We also speak with master electrician and children's book author Joshua Page about his new children's book, What Does Your Daddy Do? It's a book that encourages youth to consider a career in the trades. All of that on this edition of Regionally Speaking, but first, the news. And welcome back to Regionally Speaking. I'm Dee Dotson, and he's Tom Maloney. November is National Men's Health Awareness Month, and with it comes various efforts to create a defense for men's health. The month specifically raises awareness and support for those facing prostate cancer, testicular cancer, as well as mental health issues and suicide prevention. So we turn now to Heidi Dara, Director of Behavioral Health and Megan Wicklinski, Supervisor of Clinical Therapy at Franciscan Health, Michigan City's Legacy Campus inpatient behavioral health unit. Heidi and Megan, thank you for joining us on Lakeshore Public Radio. Oh, thank you for having us. Absolutely. So before we get started in our conversation, for the two of you, can you just take a moment and tell us about yourselves as well as the work that you do for Franciscan Health?
1: Sure. So my name is Heidi Dara, and I'm the director of the Behavioral Health Unit here at Franciscan Health. We have a 14-bed inpatient adult unit for acute mental health issues, and we're happy to be the only actual inpatient psychiatric unit in LaPorte County to serve our community.
2: And I'm Megan Wachlinski. I'm a, a clinical social worker. I oversee our clinical therapy on our unit and uh, try to integrate you know, different interventions for mental health treatment throughout our whole hospital. So we kind of, like Heidi said, have the privilege of, of being that service for our community here in LaPorte County.
0: You're here with us today to talk about National Men's Health Awareness Month, and specifically, we are going to be speaking about men's mental health. So As we begin, why do you think we hit roadblocks when it comes to engaging men in conversations about mental health?
1: So we feel like there's more of a stigma when it's related to men seeking mental health treatment or even talking about their mental health. They kind of fall into that stereotypical role of just trying to be tough. We are seeing a trend, though, with this younger generation, men in particular, being a little bit more open in talking about mental health issues and seeking help, which is a great a great step forward.
3: So one of those things that... Uh myself and my friends and i'm sure you know my dad and his brothers and every other guy that i know (laughs) you know we're all taught to man up um you know don't talk about your feelings don't talk about why it hurts don't talk about where it hurts don't talk about who hurt you don't talk about what they did just man up deal with Uh it rub some dirt on it be a man get over it (laughs) right drink your feelings you know go outside smoke a cigarette and calm down it's it's pervasive and it it is almost impossible to get out of uh, that sort of mentality especially when surrounded with it uh, can we talk about the you know the thought process behind man up and and what it means uh, in terms of uh, men's mental health and what it does to men's mental health yeah and uh,
2: you know I think there's a lot of um, uh, generational factors that, that play into that. You know, Heidi was saying that we kind of see the younger generation a little bit more open to it. And I think very much, you know, uh, historically through the generations, the family systems, the man is the breadwinner, the man does the work, the get your hands dirty type of stuff. We don't have time to be vulnerable and talk about our feelings. You know, I think it's kind of been ingrained and a lot of, you know, the generation before us and 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 ours, and it's kind of hard to escape from that. And I think it's just, I think there's there's a shift coming, definitely with it. But I think it's it's important to acknowledge the the role of a man in a family system over the past, you know, few generations, and and how that has impacted you know the the ability to to be open and process through traumatic things that that maybe men have been through very much so it's uh hopefully a changing thing here soon with a with a shift in and it being more normalized talk about your feelings whether you're a man or a woman so but i think that that's a huge piece that plays into this
3: can i ask then uh, in terms of generationally uh speaking you know you know, fathers, grandfathers? Is it simply because they didn't have the outlet to go ahead and talk about their feelings or cry or or have somebody in their life who um, was able to go ahead and, you know, let them express themselves? Is it just because they come from, you know, so to speak, old stock, right? you think about your dad and your grandpa and the people who raised them, you know, we raised by people right around the turn of the century who were raised by yeah. people right around the Civil War. And it's like all of a sudden you go back a couple of generations and you're in the seventeen, eighteen hundreds. 1800s. And, yeah. you know, the thought process of like, you know, a man exploring his feelings feels frankly, you know, foreign and almost laughable. I, I kind of want to chuckle when I say it out loud because even in my head, you know, it's cowboy movies and it's war movies and it's, and it's all of these stoic men who swallow their tears and they wear their pride on their sleeve and you know is it um is it toxic masculinity can we call it that
1: i don't know that we call it toxic masculine masculinity i do think it is exactly what you're talking about though it's that traditional role of um what a man is that stereotype of what makes you a manly man and and that's a hard one to break away from. I do think that we're seeing those traditional roles change and we have been seeing that for quite some time. We have a lot more non-traditional families. We have a lot more families, single mothers, we have a lot more families of the woman being the breadwinner in the family. So, just there is a shift in what that traditional stereotype is and we see it here I would say 30 years old and younger, we see some of those men who are far more open than your 50 and 60-year-old man. So I think it's just a progression of the change in the roles in our society and the acceptance of the man doesn't have to constantly be this macho man all of the time anymore.
3: And I'm attempting to not sing that disco song, Macho Man, in my head as you bring that up. Um,
1: I thought it too.
3: <laughs> so, Dee's a mom. Uh, Dee, you've got several kids. I am, uh, I'm a new dad. I've got a, a little kiddo running around the house. He's just past the toddler stage. Uh, what can we do as parents? You know, you talk about older generations, and the younger kids are willing to explore and express their feelings. So what can we do as parents, I think, to maybe look at signs of depression and anxiety for our loved ones and even into, you know, looking at our parents and our grandparents and and looking at our children? And and what are those those warning signs, especially for men? Um, You know, as we're we're talking about men's mental health. What are some of those those warning signs for men when it comes to uh, the big ones like depression, like anxiety?
2: yeah I think you know, as far as the the warning signs you know for depression anxiety specifically like it it can often you know look like maybe not going out with with friends or family or, or isolating and and remaining away from people if they're usually a very outgoing person um it can it can be the opposite of of that too in in working too much trying to be to over the top of i'm I'm the breadwinner, I'm the person doing these things. I need to take care of everything else. they can you know uh look look with substance use, increased substance use is also a big warning sign, but you know as you kind of look for change behaviors and and things out of out of characteristic for for that person. You know, simply creating a space to talk about it, Mm -hmm. normalizing it for your kids to, you know, hey, how was your day? Sounds like you had a tough time. You know, you want to talk about it, letting there be space to express themselves. And as far as, you know, when you talk about having kids and letting them see you talk about things as well, being the parent, having open dialogue in that way. But, you know, when when you can create that, you can see more of the signs that maybe they need a little extra support or a little bit more help or there's something else going on there so i think simply keeping it on the horizon in the forefront of this could be a possibility for anybody is is a huge step one
3: so i i i try this with my wife at home all the time with our kid and you know hey you know how are you feeling i see that you're upset and for me it's so hard to get rid of that old programming in my head um Mm -hmm. you know i've born in the 80s, and my my dad's a baby boomer, and uh, grandparents uh, before him were of the greatest generation, and, you know, it's just kind of instilled man up, and it's just, you know, you don't talk about feelings, whether it was in school or whether it was even just at home. Um, So how do fathers break through that cycle to be able to sit down and talk with their sons of any age? You know, if you're a dad and you've got a 15-year-old kid or you're a dad and you've got a 25-year-old kid or if you're like me and you got a, a four-year-old kid at home, how do, you, how do you break through all of that classical and conditional uh, programming that, that's been, you know, put in your heads for the last four or five decades?
1: So honestly, I really think that you're on the right track is making that conscious effort to be there and ask. As you know, kids of any age aren't going to be forthcoming with the worst things on their mind, whether they're 4 or 15, so that everyday check-in of how are you doing, how are you feeling, whether it feels awkward to you or not, it really is good to give your kids that opportunity every day to say, you know, I'm feeling okay, I'm feeling okay, because then that day when maybe they're not feeling okay, they would feel comfortable to tell you and then specifically to, you know, a father of male children, I think just having that same open dialogue and treating that the same as you would with your female child. I know I have a a ton of brothers, and I could definitely say that by, you know, our grandparents and our parents, they were treated differently than I was as the youngest girl. You know, my feelings were always considered, whereas they were supposed to suck it up and, and do some work around the house outside. So I think Giving that same opportunity to your children, whether they be female or male, to have the open dialogue and have it just be a normal part of everyday conversation is, is a great step in the right direction.
3: We're talking with Heidi Dara, Director of Behavioral Health, and Megan Wichlinski, Supervisor of Clinical Therapy at Franciscan Health, Michigan City's Legacy Campus, uh, Inpatient Behavioral Mental Health Unit. And I'm Tom Maloney. She's D Dotson. This is Originally Speaking.
0: You know, I'm so glad that you guys shared having those, those I call it in my home, heart checks with my children. And there is a difference in the way we treat our sons and our daughters, but I, I am intentional with having those heart checks. It gives me an opportunity to have one-on-one with my kids and have them feel comfortable in sharing. And, you know, we're speaking about getting fathers to that place and, you know, it was difficult in the beginning and, and we still have some bumpy roads with my husband understanding the importance of, of having those kind of heart checks. But as we're talking about this, I'm reminded of a conversation that Tom Maloney and I had about a month ago in recognition of Suicide Prevention Month. Um, And one of the guests sadly lost her son to suicide and I, I actually I knew her personally. I grew up with the young lady, and she shared with us the difference in the way she raised her children. And so that's how she missed those signs. So I think that it is important that we kind of hit home that we have to check in with the males in our lives, be it our five-year-old as well as our fifty-year-old. Where it's a little tougher. It's 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 harder to get them to talk. It's easier to condition a child from the age of two or three to have those heart checks, if you will. But you know, I have a husband who's 50 and it's difficult it is difficult to get him to talk about his feelings so you know you guys shared you know some some tips and tools that we can use but are there any additional tips and tools that we can use for those stubborn hard-headed old-school men to get them to as they hate to hear share their feelings
1: yeah, they're always going to be a little bit tricky. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think that we just try to find things to start conversation. It doesn't always have to be the deepest conversation in the world. Sometimes it's just finding something that they can relate to, sitting down with them, checking in. You can you can usually pick up um, just by having a conversation, I don't know, about a football game or you know what they've been doing out in the yard or their home improvements you can gauge what kind of vibe they're giving off and if they seem like themselves if they seem distracted things like that and and you know you can kind of get judgments just from that i think the most important part is checking in and being present you you may not get your 50 plus year old husband to pour out his feelings but if you're checking in with him all the time, you can at least get some shreds of information to go on, I believe.
0: And you know what? As you shared, as you just as I'm listening to you share about, you know, getting that 50 year old in my household. I have three generations. I have a 17 year old son. I have the 50 year old husband who's much, 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 much older than me. I like to remind him. <laughs> <laughs> but we also have in our home. My ninety-five-year-old grandfather, and so as you're sharing about, you know, getting that hard-headed fifty-year-old to check in and share their feelings, would you recommend any tips or tools for men at different stages of life?
2: I think a, a a big piece that I use, kind of in general, you know, especially here on the unit when I when I work with other all different ages, understanding the space that maybe your grandfather, you know, grew up in, and and Things that seem obvious to us aren't always obvious to people of, a, of different generations. And I think a big piece is trying to kind of get in that space with them, understand, you know, that like talking about feelings is kind of gross for people sometimes, to be honest. And, right. and you know, kind of being able to try to relate to where he's at and how his his thought process Uh, works as far as how he was, like, we've been talking about how he was brought up and and different things like that. But I think it's just, it it depends, it depends on the person. And I think just trying to understand that they're not necessarily, they didn't learn what the things that we learned 30 years later. And just
1: accepting that and understanding their, I don't know that limitations is the right word, but understanding their hesitancy and meeting them
2: where they're at.
3: So my question, I guess, it kind of follows up with what Dee asked and the answer to that in terms of just understanding the world that they grew up in. And, of course, for me, as a, as a relatively new father and a lot of new fathers out there in the world, uh, especially for those who did have COVID babies, the impact of the COVID pandemic on men and, and fathers and, and parenthood, you know, we're now looking at a recession and Uh uh, you know uneasy economic times there's a war in europe we don't necessarily know what's going to happen there long term what kind of an impact do those global uh, national and even just local hazards have when it comes to mental health
1: so i have i like to say in specific to the covid pandemic i think it actually had a somewhat positive impact on mental health awareness. Now, I know that it caused a lot of strife for people, and it it did cause some depression and anxiety with everything going on in the world. We felt like the world was turned upside down. But thankfully, the reaction to that Was positive. We did recognize that people were feeling this way. We increased awareness in mental health. We were trying to address some of these issues for every age group, up through all of the increased teenage suicidal thoughts, through unfortunately um, our elderly who were beginning to have suicidal thoughts over being isolated and things like that. So I do think that that aspect of things was a positive outcome as far as just in general, these global issues, they certainly increase people's anxiety and depression just because any kind of change ha- can have that effect. And the, I would say these past couple of years, we've gone through more change than any of us would like to go through. <laughs> so I think we're all adjusting. But I do like to just mention that I do think that it has brought awareness. We are all looking at it. We are all talking about it, and that is helpful.
0: So let's look at the numbers because you're just speaking about suicidal ideation. Um, and I have some some numbers that I just wanted to throw out from the Centers for Disease Control, and in those numbers, it states that one suicide occurs every eleven minutes in the United States, twelve point two million adults have thought about committing suicide. three point two million adults have planned a suicide attempt, just to name a few. So my question to you is, has suicide in this country reached epidemic levels?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah.
1: I mean, I think that first statement you made says it all. There's a suicide Mm -hmm. death every 11 minutes in the United Mm -hmm. States. If that were any other death by any other medical diagnosis, Mm -hmm. we would certainly consider that an epidemic. So I think that that's one of the main things to think about is that these mental health issues need to be taken seriously, just as seriously as we would take you know, people dying from any other medical diagnosis because there is help. We can do things to help some of these people who are feeling that way.
3: If I can ask then, I mean, obviously not for both of you because you take it seriously, but why don't we as a society take suicide attempts and suicide deaths as seriously as we should?
2: I think there's a big stigma that um, people think that it's, while it's an action of a person, it's a choice that they want this, that um, attempts or completing suicide, it means you're weak. I think that we we look at it as it's that person's fault rather than trying to think how much that person has gone through and what they've worked through in their head to get to that point.
1: And that, that I hit, think that Megan hit the nail on the head on that, that it it's... People want to blame the person who is suffering for their condition, whereas if you told me that you had cancer or you told me that you had any other disease, I, it would be impossible for me to blame you for that. Whereas mental health, I think that it's just kind of been become acceptable to say, well, you know, stop feeling that way or cheer up or whatever it is, indicating that it's that person's fault when it's not. And that that's kind of the idea I was trying to get at is mental health care is a part of health care, and we just need to keep on pushing that.
3: Megan and Heidi, I want to thank you both for joining us here on Regionally Speaking. Heidi Dareth, Director of Behavioral Health, and Megan Wichlinski, Supervisor of Clinical Therapy at Franciscan Health, Michigan City's legacy campus and patient behavioral health unit. Um, if somebody's listening now and they, uh, they want to seek out medical attention, uh, where should they go? How can they get a hold of you? Uh, what number should they call? What's the website?
1: So absolutely. I think that the, one of the things that we really want to put report, it, or report here is the new national suicide hotline. It, you dial 988, and it takes you to a semi-local call center that will then help you assess what resources you need and all of that and get you to the right level of care. If a person is having suicidal thoughts, I think that the best suggestion we can give you is to get them to go to their closest ER. It's just to ensure the safety of that patient and make sure that they do get to the right place. We accept our patients here from any ER. It does not have to be just a Franciscan ER. We just want them to get to the closest ER to ensure their safety and ensure they're getting care.
3: All right. Thank you both so much for your time during Regionally Speaking to talk about uh, men's mental health here. And uh, we wish you the best of luck. And, again, for any listeners uh, today during this program Make sure to uh, reach out if you do uh, need help in that regard. And uh, you've always got a phone call to make or a phone call can be made. And, again, Heidi and Megan, we we appreciate your time here during Regionally Speaking.
1: Thank you so much.
0: You're listening to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Radio. Joshua Page is a husband, father, entrepreneur, master electrician, and proud tech school graduate. After graduating in 2002, Page immediately started working as an electrical apprentice. And after a few years, he obtained his journeyman license and then his master electrician's license. Joshua is here today to talk to us about the new kid's book he wrote entitled, What Does Your Daddy Do? Joshua Thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking.
4: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Josh so you're here with us today to talk about your new book, What Does Your Daddy Do? And I must say, the book piqued my interest because despite suffering the economic effects of the pandemic, Northwest Indiana's building industry is actively recruiting qualified talent to maintain the state's competitive housing market, and experts believe a bounce back in the region's construction trades is inevitable. And additionally, here in Northwest Indiana, we have all of the steel mills, which are, again, a huge trade industry. So before we talk about your book, please take a moment to tell us about yourself.
4: I grew up a couple different ways. So my mom passed away when I was 13 years old. I went to live with my father and went to a trade school. I actually had a falling out with my father and that side when I was young. So I actually ended up running away and ended up living with my aunt, which is my mother's sister. Still went through trade school wasn't a good student. I was always getting into trouble. I was a C and D student. But I think it took me about till senior year to really figure myself out and say, you know what, I really need to buckle down, get my grades in order. You know, I really need to do this. And so I went to trade school for electrical and then I graduated senior year in electrical and I received my journeyman's license probably about three years after graduating and my master electrician's license about another two years after that. I went to work for a big electrical company for about 8 years doing commercial buildings, big schools, colleges, hospitals. And then I decided I wanted to do I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to be able to be there for my kids when they got off the bus, I wanted to put my kids on the bus, I wanted to coach their sports and and I just wanted to be there for them. So I ended up Quitting that company and started my own company. And I did a few different things before starting my own electrical company, but now we're into year 11 of my electrical contracting business. We have 15 employees, multiple vans, and we do a lot of what I did back then. So that's how I got started into the electrical trade and, and trades in general.
0: Great, great. So, Joshua, listening to you share your journey to becoming a master electrician, I have to ask you, it sounds like college is not the only option, correct?
4: That is correct. And, um, when I was young, I, I knew I wasn't going to college. My mom didn't have money for it. I wasn't smart. I was a C&D student. And I knew at that time that I was definitely not going to college. So what piqued my interest about the trade school is that you only had to go to school two weeks out of the month, and the other two weeks were in a trade because it went, you know, one week of academics, another week of trade, one week of academics, another week of trade. So that's originally why I went there because I said, heck, yeah, you know, I only have to go to school two weeks out of the month. You know, sign me up. So that's why I originally went to a trade
0: school. We're speaking with Joshua Page, author of the new kid's book, What Does Your Daddy Do? So Joshua, thinking about the pandemic, especially at the height of the pandemic, when people at that time were locked down in their homes, able to not only take a break from the hustle and bustle of everyday life, but also having that opportunity, if you will, to look around their homes and go, hmm, that wall could use a fresh coat of paint. Or in the case in which the work you do would fit in that outlet in the bathroom that constantly causes problems if both the hairdryer and let's just say the electric toothbrush are plugged in at the same time so thinking about you know cases like that have you seen an uptick in business
4: yes i think everyone in the trade has absolutely seen a complete uptick in business because you know covid and the pandemic you know probably one of the best things to ever happen in this world and probably one of the worst things to ever happen in this world you know i think we all learned a lot, and it all affected us in different ways and, you know, all at the same time. But with all of these people working in tech and industries and, and leaving the offices by the drone, you know, just it, it just all went home and then had to figure themselves out, like, how do we run this business? How do we do this? Oh, okay, we can do this from home now. All right, yeah, I'll set up my computer, my laptop, my screens. Okay, I can do this from home oh, wait, I need more outlets, I need internet, I need more power, I need a new electrical panel, and then while they're home, you know, building out their home office, hey, you know what, we've always wanted to do our kitchen, we've never been able to be home for it, wow, why don't we do our kitchen, why don't we do our bathroom, why don't we put decks on, so there has been a huge inrush of projects from the home front over the last two years, I don't think anybody in the trade has slowed down because of it. Now we're starting to see more people leave their homes and go back to the offices, but they're still you know they're still they're still doing a lot of stuff to their houses that they've never been able to do or never had the eye for because they haven't been home long enough because they've always been in the office for 12 14 hours a
2: day.
0: So Joshua, you are a staunch advocate for the trades, often encouraging young people to explore a career in the trade as an alternative to college. Why are you so passionate about the trades? And is that what led you to write the book, What Does Your Daddy Do?
4: So, yeah, that's a two-part answer. So why am I so passionate about the trades? I was lost and confused when my mom died and going through my high school career. And, you know, it's it's awkward enough going through high school and trying to make friends and girlfriends and try to figure life out. And with me running away and living with my aunt, not having a good relationship with my dad, my mom is gone. I really was constantly searching for for. Someone to be proud of me, right? Something, somebody to tell me how good I was doing. Or I was searching for that from my mom, and it obviously wasn't there. But once I started getting involved in the trades and was able to build something with my own hands, I was proud of myself. And as soon as I was proud of myself for building that, or turning that light switch on, or plumbing a faucet, or putting a roof on, whatever project I was in, I was like, wow, this is really cool. Like I built this. Like I had a box of parts and material. And I put it all together and it worked and I did it. And I didn't need someone else to tell me that they were proud of me. I was able to do it. So to me, I think the trades and building saved me. You know, I really do. And um, there's just something about being counted on and being relied on by other people that don't have that skill set that just fires me up inside. Like I love when people say, Hey, can you fix this? And you fix it. And they, they're just like, How did you do that? And I'm like, Oh, you know, X, Y, Z. Like, That's our skill set in the trades. And it doesn't matter if you're an electrician. You can still do the same thing as a carpenter, as a plumber, as a welder. Once you have that skill set, nobody can ever take that away from you. And you can use it in every aspect of life. And the reason why I wrote the book is because about six years ago, I was invited to speak at a career day event about becoming an electrician. And when I got there, there was a fireman, environmental police, a tax advisor, someone from, like, Edward Jones, and then me. And I was like, all right, I'm either in the wrong space or, like, I don't even know what the heck I'm doing here. So I had 30 minutes to talk to a bunch of high school kids, and I decided 25 minutes of that I was going to tell them my story about high school, my mom passing away, and then five minutes of it I told them about becoming an electrician. They all left, and the teacher came up to me and said, Josh, I have never seen in my entire teaching career Someone holds 15 kids' attention for so long on every single word. How did you do it? And I said, because I got them to trust me with my story. You know, they're, they're interested in being an electrician, but they need to trust me, this stranger walking in firsthand. And I started doing that a lot. And I would speak to a lot of career day events, and kids would get excited about being an electrician and all of this. And I just, I loved it, but I didn't feel I was making a big enough of an impact. And when the pandemic hit, I had about two weeks that we shut down the company, and I said, you know, I can't just sit here. Like, what can I do? And so that's when I wrote the children's book. And honestly, I wrote it, and then I, I just saved it on Microsoft Word. I didn't do anything with it because I didn't think anybody would care. I didn't think anybody would read it. I thought it was garbage. And then 2021, I opened it back up again, and I said, Josh, this book's not written for you. You've got to show up. And you've got to put this book out there for the next generation of kids that are lost or confused or maybe were just like you when you were young. That's what this book is for. It's not for you. So put the book out there and let it be shown. And so here we are today. And I'm so proud of the book. We've got a lot of great feedback from parents and kids, and I really think it's going to help to change the next generation.
0: Joshua, so as I shared at the start of our conversation, I wanted to speak with you today because your book highlights the importance of working in the trades, a big industry here in Northwest Indiana that sadly, like across our country, has seen a decline in the next generation of workers. The book opens with one of the main characters, Ashton, heading off to school for career week. Once settled in his fifth grade classroom, his teacher, Ms. Dusenberry, starts the discussion of career week. The kids are really interested in it, and they want to learn more. So take a moment to tell us about your book, What Does Your Daddy Do?
4: Yeah, so the Career Week at school, you know, they're just finding out about different careers. And Miss Dusenbury is telling them that she's a teacher, and that's a career that jobs are more short-term, but if it's a long-term job, then it becomes a career. So the kids are interested. Ashton knows that his dad's an electrician, but he doesn't exactly know what he does. So he goes home and, you know, he asks dad and dad shows him all these cool things. And then he has to report back to school the next day. And, you know, I think as kids, we don't, we don't, sometimes we don't even know what our parents do, right? Like, I know I have friends that I'm like, I don't even know what you do. Like, what exactly do you do? You know, So I, I think growing up, unless your parents were in the trades or they hired tradespeople to work at home when you were there, I think a lot of kids don't even realize what a carpenter is or what a plumber does, or they might know what a roofer is because they can put two and two together, like there's a roof on the house, you're a roofer. But for the most part, like they, kids don't even know what that is. I, I know growing up, I had no clue what an electrician was. I literally went to trade school to go into cosmetology. wow And, and i'm i'm six foot four 230 pounds like i didn't i couldn't picture myself doing french tips french braids and manicures for the rest of my life but i thought i i thought cosmetology was about you know makeup in the movies like that's what i wanted to do like the gore and the makeup and all that stuff so growing up i had no clue what an electrician was so i'm hoping these books will Just kind of start the conversation younger, like, oh, that's what an electrician does. Like, that's really cool. Or like, I don't want to do that. Like, okay, perfect. That's fine, too. I was just reading this book to my eight-year-old son. Well, actually, he wrote it to me the other day. And I let him read the whole book. And then we closed. And I said, okay, buddy, we got to get to bed. And he said, dad. I said, what, buddy? He said, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. And it was like, that's the magic moment right there that I want for every kid reading this book to say to their parents or to their teacher, like, just get the conversation started. You know, it's fine if you don't want to be in the trades. It's fine. But I I want it to be a conversation that gets started young. That way they have time to make up their mind. And they actually can learn about the trades instead of finding out when they're 16, 17, 18 years old. Because by then, not that it's too late, but it almost is too late. Like, you know, they need to get involved earlier. And there's a lot of kids out there that are great at doing Legos or building tree houses or working on their dirt bike or their cars. or And they would be phenomenal in the trades, but they just don't even know it exists.
0: So in addition to kids having access to your book, do you think that representatives from the trade industry should participate in career days at their local schools?
4: I think career days are great. I mean, I think they're becoming more and more popular. Uh, honestly, with with the pandemic, it stopped. Right, in 2020, nobody went and visited schools. 2021, nobody visited schools. 2022, we're starting to visit schools now, and I think it's good. I think, to me, the the reason why I wrote the book between third and sixth grade is I think I think that's the magic seed that needs to be planted. Then seventh and eighth grade is your awkward years. Ninth through twelfth, you're being shoved with So much college information that there's not much room for much else. And I think a lot of those kids, to be honest and blunt, I think a lot of those kids that are not going to go to college are just going to put up the front and say, no, I'm not going to college. And if they're not redirected somewhere else, then those are the ones that they're just going to get in trouble. They're going to make bad choices. They're going to do things that aren't right. And they're just not going to live a life of purpose. And that, honestly, the reason why I say it is because that was me for a little bit. You know, that, that was me. Like, I was getting into trouble. There was no purpose. Until I found out exactly, and until my back was up against the wall, and I need to make a choice in that senior year and say, okay, I have no options. I'm not going to college. My mom has passed away. I don't talk to my dad. I live in the breezeway of my aunt's house. Like, I need to make a decision. That's what it took for me. But I don't think a lot of kids are going to have that same mentality as I did. And I think a lot of them are going to get stuck. So I think we need to get the trades and options to them earlier, not pushed on them, just educated. Just like this children's book is just an option. Like, hey, you want to read this book? Oh, perfect. We find out about an electrician. It's just planting the seed. That's all I want to do.
0: Joshua, you just shared something that reminds me of a recent personal experience. You know, you spoke about planting that seed early, exposing kids to the idea of working in the trades industry at a very early age. Even sharing your thoughts on what to share at varying ages and stages, including that by the time a student makes it to high school, it might be a little harder to introduce them to the idea of trades because they may be working towards their goal of attending a college or university. And that leads me to want to share this moment of transparency as we talk about students being encouraged to get good grades and strive for college as the only option. So I have a son that is in his junior year of high school. He's a pretty good student. Well, actually, he's a great student. He takes all AP and honors courses. But an opportunity for a select number of students at his high school came up to take part in a two-year electrician's trades course that could actually lead to an apprenticeship. So my son, he filled out all of the required paperwork. We as parents, we signed off on it because this was something that he was interested in. But sadly, his application was rejected because he was told that he was on the college track. And that really bummed him out. So what do you say to that sort of excluding students from even learning about a career in the trades simply because they make good grades or are on the college track?
4: That's tough because one, if your son made it and is definitely college bound, and that's exactly what he wants to do, but he just wants to learn about the trades, he would block an opportunity for another kid who absolutely wants nothing to do with college but wants the trades. So that one scenario. But the other scenario is is just because your co- your son is extremely smart and in AP classes and everything else doesn't mean that he's going to want to go to college. Exactly. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's just a really smart kid and doesn't want college but maybe he works really well with his hands and he could be the next plumber or the next automotive technician or the next engineer you know but yeah that's that's a tough one that that is tough because they are steering him they they didn't give him an option they're saying yeah because of your grades and how smart you are you you, you don't belong in the trades like you you're going to college whether you like it or not that's pretty much what they're saying
0: yeah, and it really bummed him out. And because of that, I'll be honest with you, he made the decision that once he graduates high school, he will pursue a program on his own. For him? Absolutely. I will support him no matter what it is, if he goes to Harvard or if he goes and becomes part of a local apprenticeship uh, program.
4: Do I have time to tell you a short story?
0: You do. You certainly do. Go right I, ahead. I,
4: I I love telling this story because, again, College is not the only option, and I'm not pushing the trades. It's just an option. But what I am pushing for every single person that's listening to this broadcast right now, I don't care if you're 10 years old or 70 years old. I want you to live your life with passion and purpose. And here's the story. My oldest son has ADHD. was extremely tough to deal with when he was younger. And I was talking with a customer of ours. And he said his son was the same thing. And I said, okay, great. Like, what do I do? How do I parent differently? What can I do to help him? And he said, well, my son loved video games. Like, he was very bad at school. He would lie about his homework. If he did it, he would get like a 14 on homework. Like, he would just fail everything. But he loved video games. And I'm like, okay, you know, and I said, that's great. My son doesn't really play video games that much. But all right. And I said, you know, where is your son now? And he said, my son's 23 years old. I said, Wow. It's okay. So you you made it. (laughs) You know, you got him through high school. Like, what's he doing now? And he said, you'll never believe it, Josh. And I said, what? And this was probably six years ago. So before the pandemic. And he said he lives in a 12000 square foot mansion in Las Vegas with six other men. I said, wow, what the heck does he do? And he said they tore the country setting up video game conferences throughout the entire country for people to play video games against each other throughout the world. And he makes $200,000 a year. Wow. And I said, Oh, my gosh, like, here's this kid that you thought was a complete failure was a loser in school, you know, was never going to make it out of him, but had ADHD. And here he is doing phenomenal, didn't go to college, didn't go into the trades, but he followed his passion and is living life with purpose. And I said, good for him. And I told this story to every single person that will listen to it, because to me, that means more than anything in the world. And I think as parents, we try to push our kids into these little shapes and, and ideals that we imagine we want them to be. But sometimes that's just not who they are. But if every single one of us lived life with passion and purpose, I think this world would be a lot better off.
0: Let me just say this, Joshua. Thank you for for being so open and honest and transparent and sharing your whole story as you shared and receiving feedback from not only the teacher from that very first career day event that you participated in, but also feedback just from community members who have received your story in a way, yeah, it's great when you hear from a doctor, from an engineer, from an architect, but to actually see someone who maybe has experienced life's ups and downs the way you have, and for you to share your passion, I think that that is what is so moving and at the same time motivating for young people as well. So I just wanted to thank you for being so passionate for that. And just listening to you, I can tell that how you receive love is by giving and sharing. And so I just wanted to take a moment to just say thank you for that. Because not a lot of people are generous with their story. Mm. And oftentimes when you hold your story in and when you don't share your story with someone else, that can impede someone else's progress. So I just wanted to tell you thank you for sharing your story, sharing your journey and being so open and honest. And I am just amazed that you wrote this story in two weeks.
4: Yeah, it it's based on career week at school and that that's, Mm -hmm. you know, where I found out about, you know, Teaching of the Trade is, was that career week? So this is going to be the first book in the series. I plan on doing another four, with the next one being Plumber and HVAC, then Carpenter, Welder, and then Cosmetologist. And then um, before anyone asks, because it always comes up, um, everyone says, well, what about moms? What about moms? What about moms? Right, and I'm right. like, yep. So the, ne- the next series is going to be the same exact trades, and it's going to be, what does your mommy do? Because I want the little girls growing up to understand that they too can be a, the next best carpenter, the next plumber, the next cosmetologist, what, the next electrician. They too can do that just as much as the boys can. And I don't want any any little girl to be out there and saying, wow, you know, I wish I could be an electrician, because they can. I can only write one book at a time, and this book was primarily about me being an electrician during career week, but the next books coming out are, are going to be, you know, even better. And I think, I think with this series of books and with teaching the parents and educating the kids about the trades, I think it'll be another option for them, and that college is not the only option. It's a great option, but so aren't the trades. And because I know there's a lot of other kids that are out there that grew up just like me, um, but they might not have that mentor or someone to look up to that has been where I've been. And maybe maybe they'll think back on this book that they read at the library or this book that they read at preschool or this book that was given to them for Christmas or something. be like, wow, you know. Maybe I can do this or maybe I can do that. And maybe they don't become an electrician. That's fine. But maybe they go into something that they're passionate about and they love and they find out, I love to be a welder. I love to be a roofer. I really love painting. Okay, great. Because I think as parents, we push our kids into certain areas that we felt we failed at growing up and we wish we would have done. And I think that's where a lot of people push the kids to college. Like, oh, I'm not successful you should have went to college. I should have went to college, so you should go to college, and you become successful. But that's, that's honestly a lie that we've told generation after generation after generation, because you don't need to go to college to be successful. There are plenty of tradespeople throughout the entire country that are doing extremely well, if not equal to or better than a college graduate, with no debt. And where, where the national debt average is $1.3 trillion, whether they're going to pay for it or not, it's still in the trillions, and somebody, that money just doesn't, just doesn't appear. The taxpayers are going to have to pay for it. Somewhere along the lines, we'll have to pay for that. So when you go into the trades, you are debt-free. When you go into college, you're going into debt. You, you potentially could have a very good job. You're going to have a great education, but you're still going to have to find a job at the end. When you go into the trades, you have the job right from the start and you're getting paid right from the start, and you can do very, very well. Not, not everyone is made for college, and not everyone's made for the trades either. You know, It's just another option.
0: So finally, Joshua, I read the book, What Does Your Daddy Do? And as I've shared many times throughout our conversation, I absolutely loved it. For our listeners who are interested in picking up a copy, can you share more information on how they can get their own copy?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So you can buy it in print on Amazon, available by Amazon, uh, you can also get it as an ebook from Amazon. Uh, Barnes & Noble has it online. Most of the major uh, retailers online will carry it. And if you buy it, please, 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 uh, leave a review, leave us a testimonial, take some pictures. Um, we have a "What Does Your Daddy Do?" Facebook page. You can uh, tag us on that. Uh, I'd love to get this book into every kid's hands throughout the throughout the country and, and throughout the world, really. I mean. Uh, the trades are needed, and, and kids need to be, um, you know, taught about them at, at an early age. So uh, I appreciate anything and everything, and, and buy the book for Christmas. Buy the book um, for, for birthdays, for Father's Day coming up next year, and uh, stay tuned for more coming, coming soon.
0: Joshua Page is a father, husband, a master electrician, and the author of the kids' book, What Does Your Daddy Do? Joshua, thank you so much for spending time with us today on Regionally Speaking.
4: Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure.
0: And that's it for Regionally Speaking for this week. Thanks to our guests from Franciscan Health, Michigan City Campus, Heidi Dara and Megan Wachlinski, as well as book author Joshua Page. And we'll be back with you next week.